This is the Unstoppable Podcast, where we are dedicated to bringing you comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God. We hope this podcast will encourage, equip, and empower you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits. As you realize your potential, you will join a dynamic group of passionate people who are actively bringing the unstoppable power of heaven into the darkest places on earth. Here is your host, Justin Self. I am holding in my hand my very first published book. It's on Amazon. I have a Kindle version and uh, and a paperback version. You can check it out. Probably the fastest and best way to get, look at it is go to our website, unstoppableblog.com. Go to the books and resources tab, and then you'll I have an Amazon link. We are offering a special. Um, if you are already a Patreon supporter, uh, you'll you've already got an email from me, but uh, I am uh, sending you a book, a signed copy of the book, um, just to say thank you for financially supporting us and, and supporting us also in prayer. And we're so grateful and thankful for you. Um, now, if you want to become a Patreon subscriber, this is a great time because if you sign up at the $10 a month or greater, um, I will send you a copy of the book and I will sign it as well. So as a way to welcome you to the Patreon family, I am here today. Uh, I have a very special guest with me today. This is someone you've not yet heard on the podcast. And this is really awesome because the content we're going to cover today is super important. Um, it actually does go along with the things that we've been teaching, the Hearing God series. So this couldn't be better. Um, the person I have with me today is absolutely amazing. His name is Jeff Eggers. And you might recognize his name if you've read the book, Prophetic Like Jesus. We're going to talk about that today a little bit. Historically, he was part of the leadership team at International House of Prayer, IHOP, in Kansas City. He worked in their PhD department, uh, which is their prophecy, healing, and deliverance teams. He helped write the curriculum there. He taught in their Bible school. He's pastored three churches. He's planted one. He really specializes in just leading people in growth and training people and equipping people and you know he still travels he has speaking engagements um, I do know he travels internationally but also locally and nationally but his greatest desire is that he would be introduced as a as someone who who wants to be a friend of God and to serve the church I can say from personal experience that Jeff is my friend and I'd have just really enjoyed getting to know you over the years and especially when we go outside and we catch some waves together. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So glad to have you. I'm really appreciate I'm, I'm so grateful Pleasure for your time. To be here. This is awesome. So, uh, Jeff is is amazing, but we are going to talk today about the purpose of prophecy. And we're going to talk about some things with the prophetic. And so Jeff, let's just open it up. Could I I mean, is that even too simple of a question? Can I ask what is the purpose of prophecy? Um, yeah, I think that uh, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of it goes to some of the weird ideas that uh, people envision about the prophetic or prophecy. They think of sometimes wild-eyed prophets shouting, screaming, proclaiming judgment and damnation. Um, but in the New Testament, the purpose of prophecy or the gift of prophecy, I would say, as described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the purpose of prophecy is basically just to encourage people. It's more than just a feel-good general encouragement. It's hearing uh, God's feelings, God's affections, God's thoughts towards people, 
and in the hearing process, translating that into a meaningful message that when you speak it to somebody, it makes sense, it encourages them, it lifts them, and it makes them strong. And that's really what 1 Corinthians uh, 14, 1 through 3 is all about. Mm -hmm. Paul says that the gift of prophecy is to strengthen, edify, and encourage the church. Yeah. Paul also says, um, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you might prophesy, mm -hmm. because prophecy is the greatest gift. And I've wondered about that at times. Why is it greater than healing? Why is it greater than working of miracles? But I think it's the greatest gift just because generally people always need to be encouraged. You might not be sick, so you don't need me to have a gift of healing. Right. You might not Good. need a miracle right now. But if you look around today in the church and people in the world, and um, there's so much depression, there's uh, so much discouragement. So the gift of prophecy is all about strengthening and encouraging people about how God feels about them. And that's really the heart of the prophetic. Mm -hmm. How does God feel about you? Mm -hmm. Who are you to God? Um, and so ministering in that gift uh, is really something that strengthens and blesses and encourages people. That's good. I think a lot of times when we think of prophecy or the prophetic, um, isn't it true that people kind of mix the Old Testament and the New Testament, and sometimes they think it's this, it's something that it's not? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And even the word prophecy, because for a lot of the church, the idea of prophecy is all about end times. It's mm. about foretelling the future. But um, there's really uh, not a whole lot of that connected to the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. Um, there's a lot of differences between prophecy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But first, I think I would dispel the concept of Old Testament prophets that people have. Because a lot of people's ideas of Old Testament prophets were that they were angry, they were mean, they were all they did was speak judgment. And when you study the prophets, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, Jeremiah, who's probably one of my favorites, exemplified the heart of God. And his initial message wasn't judgment and condemnation. His initial message was turn to God. God is merciful. You are in danger of judgment. But if you turn, it's God's desire to forgive you, to heal you. Israel, Jerusalem, Judea was at a point where judgment was going to come because they had so pushed the envelope with God for generations. But even in the midst of the judgment, Jeremiah was prophesying mercy, compassion. Judgment will come, but if you will turn, God will protect you in judgment. God will uh, lessen the amount of judgment if you respond to him. And then, you know, following the, the book is Lamentations, where you really see the heart of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't glad that God punished Jerusalem for her sin. Jeremiah wept. And I think the thing with the Old Testament prophets is they weren't standing on the outside prophesying as if they were exempt from mm -hmm. the judgments to come. Yeah. They were in it. Jeremiah was in it. When Jerusalem was under siege, Jeremiah was under siege. So his heart was with the people and his heart was with God. And so I think the Old Testament prophets sometimes get a bad rap as being judgmental and angry when really their heart was so connected to God. Plus, their heart was connected to justice and to freedom, um, 
part of the reason why Jerusalem went into captivity was because she oppressed the poor. She didn't take care of the fatherless and the widow. She was mean and scornful towards the immigrant. All of these things that were on God's heart were part of the reason why she went into exile. And Jeremiah's heart was, again, calling the people, stop the oppression. Why? Because God's heart is for mercy and compassion and justice. So we see that in the Old Testament. But when we move into the New Testament, one of the main shifts is that in the Old Testament, there were only so many prophets. You had to be called by God. Um, you couldn't just decide to be a prophet. And so in the Old Testament, you had to be called by God, and you had to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, yeah. upon being stoned to death. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the difference between the true prophets and the, old, and the false prophets were the true prophets carried the heart of God. False prophets generally prophesied from their own desires or their own nationalistic culture, um, often, you know, prophesying peace and safety when actually the people needed to repent and turn to God. So the standard of accuracy definitely was there in the Old Testament. Old Testament prophets carried an authority that New Testament prophets didn't. They had direct divine connection with the voice, the Word of God, the different ways that God spoke to them. You didn't debate their message. You didn't go to Jeremiah and say, well, I'm not sure you heard God. I mean, unless you were a false prophet. God spoke, that was it, you know, um, and then they recorded accordingly as what God spoke to them or what they prophesied. So, we don't see that authority or that kind of ministry in the New Testament. Another thing about the Old Testament prophets is that there were only so many of them. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, as we look in your scriptures, there's several prophets mentioned. And um, I know at one point God told Elijah there's 7,000 prophets, but it's not like, you know, prophets were common. And so, when we move into the New Testament, there's a shift with that in terms of not only prophets, but who can prophesy. So, I think those are all some of the differences uh, when we look at Old Testament prophets. I would probably sum it up by saying Old Testament prophets carried the heart of the Father. They had direct revelation, and they were called to speak to kings, princes, priests, prophets, and the public in general. Most of prophetic ministry focused on Israel. On occasion, they prophesied to leaders of other nations, but that was mostly in relation to how nations treated Israel or Jerusalem. When we shift into the New Testament, the difference we run into is that in the New Testament, we're walking under the fulfillment of Joel 2.20 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So, instead of there being a few prophets, you know, in Joel, he speaks of the outpouring that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So, through Jesus, coming into relationship with Jesus, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, all believers being filled with the Holy Spirit have access to hearing the Holy Spirit, hearing God's voice. Thus, there's a vast uh, potential for an increase of hearing God's voice and ministering prophetically as compared to the Old Testament. The prophets were full of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't a general outpouring uh, like we see in the New Testament. Right. So, that, that begs, that's a good point. That's a good segue to my, my next question. Um, 
so here we are, we're living in the New Testament and, you know, people that are listening are, are believers, you know, most, most of them are believers. How do I, how do I, how do I hear from God? How do I start prophesying? What if I've never done it before? You know, what does that even look like for me? I don't look at myself and think of a, I'm a prophet or I'm somebody who can do this kind of stuff. I mean, how do I even do that? How does this look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of Christians probably hear God's voice and they don't even think about it. I know for me in my early days, and and my background is with the charismatic church. I got saved in the Jesus movement, and there were so many wild, crazy stories. I mean, I heard uh, (laughs) a wide variety of, of speakers that came to my church that weren't necessarily prophets, but they talked about hearing God's voice. You know, one guy uh, said that he was driving down the street and his radio station changed and God spoke to him. I thought, man, that's crazy. Wow, I want, I want, to, I want that kind sure. of thing, you know. Uh, you know, others talked about, you know, the booming voice of God mm-hmm. or, you know, this breaking in. And so my initial concept was like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I want that. Yeah. I want to hear God like that, sure. you know. I mean, we all want some kind of, you know, supernatural loud divine breakthrough into our lives and so that's what i was asking for god i want you to speak to me and when i said speak to me i had that concept in mind i had been growing in prayer i've been growing and spending time with god i've been growing in the word so i was attending uh, bible college but i was getting my aa degree uh, from a junior college and i was sitting uh, either in a geology or biology class i don't remember maybe a philosophy class And the class was ending, and so I was heading outside into the hall. I was bored. I was hungry, and there was a candy machine, and I just thought, man, I'm going to get me a Snickers bar. That'll take care of, (laughs) you know, this hunger. Of course, you know, a Snickers bar is good for that. (laughs) And so I pulled out my change to put in the machine, and I heard this, just this whisper, you don't need that candy bar. Mm. And I just thought. Uh, that's no, 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 no. That's I need this candy bar, you know. <laughs> and I quickly, you know, ignored it. And then I put my change in the machine, and no candy bar came out. <laughs> you know, I could beat on it, I could talk to it, I could be angry, but nothing came out. That's funny. And and I walked away from that experience, going, "Wow, you know, you do talk to me, God, mm. and you don't shout, you don't yell, cool. you don't scream." It's sometimes in the very minute, small things that you're teaching me to listen. Now, you could say, well, what's that all about? Yeah. Snickers bar, big deal. <laughs> but we start somewhere, yeah. you know, and um, if we're asking to hear God's voice, then we have to pay attention to what we're asking Him. That's good, yeah. And when He whispers to us. Um, I have a lot of people tell me I can't hear God's voice. And, you know, my suggestion to them generally is, well, what are you asking for? Because people say, I want to hear your voice. And, you know, that's like a child coming to his father and saying, you know, tell me something general about all the information you have in your head, Dad. <laughs> you know, um, and then you wouldn't know if he was answering. So, that's good. Yeah. you know, I, I think asking God specific questions about other people specifically, you know, Lord, what is this person's dream? Mm. Does this person hurt? What can I say to encourage this person? Jesus, if you were standing in front of this person right now, what would you say to them? I think things like that, then we find out, oh, wow, we get impressions, you know, we we hear whispers, we hear words or thoughts, maybe we see pictures, uh, and God communicates to us specifically. So I, I think, you know, starting place is just understanding that God talks to us like our friends talk to us. That's good. If you and I went out to coffee, 
you know, and you had something that you wanted to share with me of, uh, you know, important, intimate nature. We wouldn't sit down at, at the table and you wouldn't go, thus says Justin <laughs> to Jeff. <laughs> The Lord says unto you, go to the counter and order this. You know, I mean, it, it, you know, you wouldn't bang you on imagine? the table. You wouldn't shout. You no. would just say, hey, man, you want yeah. coffee? Yeah. What do you want? Yeah. Um, and it would be a conversation like that. And very much that's how we hear God's that's voice in, in conversation. And then I would add, for me personally, one of the greatest ways I have learned to hear God's voice is just to meditate scripture, mm-hmm. to ask God questions. What do you mean by this? I could give so many specific experiences where God has spoken to me in very significant ways that just started with a question. Just one, even just brief one, and in reading John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And my initial question to, you know, and, and it was a serious question, it wasn't lighthearted, was, Jesus, what were you doing in the beginning? Mm-hmm. You know, you were yeah. God in the beginning. What was happening? Mm-hmm. And the question kind of morphed into, if I could sit in the midst of the Trinity, mm-hmm. what would I see? What would I feel? What would wow. I experience? Yeah. Initially, I felt like the answer was, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but following that was, I, I just have this sense of sitting in the middle of a circle and seeing around me the harmony, the love, the commitment that the Father has to the Son, that the Son has to the Spirit, that the Spirit has to the Father. Perfect unity, perfect harmony, perfect uh, deference to one another, no jealousy, uh, just complete love. And I just felt like like that's what I was hearing. If I could be in the midst of God, I would feel just the magnification of love, unity, harmony. And then that pours back out when you see the Word became flesh and dwelt among mm-hmm. us, yeah. that living in Jesus is living in complete love. And for me, that was a wonderful revelation, and it just started with a question. And, and so I think besides the number of ways God speaks, meditating Scripture, asking God questions, yeah. engaging with right. God in a conversation right. is a good way to start listening. Maybe we're not asking enough questions. Maybe we're going through our daily Bible reading plan, you know, and we're, I mean, I'm not, I don't have anything wrong with a Bible reading plan. I just wrote one, you know, so, yeah, yeah. a devotional, but maybe, and maybe that's something that we need to do as a body of Christ is we really need to learn the art of sitting with him and, and not just checking something off the list. And I know I sound like a broken record. We probably, we've all heard this type of thing, but, but we do. I mean, I know for me, my, my experience mirror, mirrors that exactly where I really didn't start getting much out of my relationship with God until I started thinking of him as a person, yes, not a, a finite, you know, lower than, I didn't lower the deity at all, but I'm just saying talking to him and connecting with him and asking him questions and expecting him to give me answers, especially answers that I don't, I didn't expect, you know, cause I know he's infinite. And so opening up our heart to that is really important. That's good. Yeah. I think overcoming the idea somehow that God is either disappointed with us or angry at us or mad at us and then looking at Bible study as a way to appease God because it's my Christian duty, shifting out of that to understanding that God is completely in love with us um, and that He desires intimacy with us more than we desire intimacy with Him. 
I mean, just a couple of verses that highlight this to me, you know, Song of Songs 2.14, where he addresses the church, my beloved in the cleft of the rock in the secret place of the cliff. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your face is beautiful to me and your voice is sweet to me. That this is actually how he feels about me 24-7. Or you move into Song of Songs chapter 4, verse 7 and 9, you know, where he says, you're all fair, my beloved, and I see no fault in you. You know, I mean, I love the first part of that. When I read the second part, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> really? No fault, really? <laughs> but, you know, through the blood of Jesus yeah, and God's it. love, when he sees me, you know, it, it's not a legalistic deal. It's a, no, I genuinely see no fault in you. Yeah. When I look at you, you are my beloved. And then verse 9 says that, you know, I am moved by one glance of your eyes. And I'll never get past that, you know, that... I, as a finite, broken human being, actually move the heart of God with my little, weak, I love you, Jesus, you know? Yeah. And then he just says, oh, that moves my heart. I love you. And when we operate in that kind of relationship of intimacy, then Bible reading is no longer about my Christian duty or understanding things in my mind. When we operate that way, then we're operating in friendship. We're operating in intimacy. I want to know my lover. I have a burning desire to let my spirit be united with his spirit. And then that moves me into that place of wanting to ask the questions. Who are you? Yeah. Okay, so you, you, you mentioned prophecy as being, you know, we're communicating the heart of God to another person. Um, that, that's one of, the, one of the ways we could look at prophecy, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so I love your book, Prophetic Like Jesus, and we've gone through it with our, with our home group. My favorite chapter is chapter five, <laughs> the bridal paradigm. In fact, when I when I went to Kenya recently, I actually preached on that to to many of the churches that I visited, and it just it just the bridal paradigm, this whole idea of of God's relationship with us and with the church, you know, um, bridegroom and bride, it blew off the boxes of a lot of a lot of people that I ministered to over there, and it's it's ministering to me powerfully. When we're talking about knowing the heart of God, and then ministering basically and encouraging other people with the heart of God. It's really important to understand, I think, that bridal paradigm. Yes. Can you tell it? Can you just go over it real, real, you know, real yeah. quick, I guess, a briefish version? But I really want to hear your heart on, on this. I mean, I love the chapter in the book. It's ministered to me so powerfully. And we, our conversations about this always encourage me. But um, this is something I, I feel like the Lord is really dealing with us about as a church as well. Yes. And it's uh, so important in connection with the gift of prophecy. Yeah. Because a lot of people will chase after the gift, right. but if you don't know the heart of God, there's definitely going to be a ceiling on any perfected, uh, prophetic gift that you have, because the heart of the prophetic gift is prophesying from the heart of God, his emotions, his feelings, his love for people. Um, you know, Revelation uh, says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So if we don't know the testimony of the heart of Jesus, how are we going to go deeper um, in our love for people and ministering and prophecy. That's good. Um, I mean, the bridal paradigm, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, Mike Bickle is the one who really pulled this out of Song of Songs, uh, which is one of the things that drew me to uh, IHOP, you know, in 2004. Um, but the idea is, is rooted in Song of Songs, and it didn't start with Mike. There's a lot of the mystics yeah. who have written deeply on Song of Songs, including St. John of the Cross. But the concept of the bridal paradigm is it just follows the story of the young Shulamite 
uh, from her early days of falling in love with Solomon, uh, Israel's king at that time, through her maturity and understanding what it like it, what it means to be chosen and what it means to be loved and then what it means to give out of that love and sacrifice everything for that love. So I, I think just a couple of highlights in in chapter one of Song of Songs and I haven't talked about this for a while, so it's <laughs> but it's coming back to me. Um, you know, in chapter one, basically to paraphrase, Solomon rides into town and chooses the Shulamite. Yep. And she has nothing to offer him. She's not wealthy. She's not rich. She's she, you know, is just a, a woman in the village, so to speak. And, and so initially, she is overwhelmed that she could be loved by by this king. Yeah. And when we move that into our relationship with Jesus, you know, he chooses us. He's the king. He's the creator. Um, he holds uh, all things in his hand. You know, Colossians says that the worlds are held together by his word. Uh, so here's this beautiful, wonderful king coming to us, the little peasants who have nothing to offer him. And her initial response to that love is our initial response. Oh, yeah. he loves me. You know, um, you, you can remember what it was like when you got born again or your early days as a believer when it just seemed like you said his name and he was there and yep. you were like, oh, yeah. this is so wonderful. And um, it, it begins with that where she's saying, oh, kiss me with the kisses yep. of your mouth. Uh, your love is better than wine. It's a, all this first love, you know, that, that we have with Jesus. And then she faces the early trials of accusation, where she says, my mother's brothers were angry at me uh, because I wasn't working in the vineyard. They said that I've neglected the vineyard, and, and I guess I've neglected my own vineyard as well. And, you know, this is the accusation of religion, of religious people. Well, you shouldn't be spending all that time at Jesus' feet and praying. You need to be out there doing something and it's the value that the world and even the church sometimes puts on production. You're not producing anything. You're wasting your time if you're not producing anything when all she wants to do is sit at Jesus' feet in love. And then out of that accusation comes her own inner accusation, and all of her weaknesses begin to surface. I'm not, I'm not taking care of my own vineyard. I haven't done what I should do. All the work stuff. Yeah. And then Jesus comes and speaks to her in kindness. You know, she's all under condemnation. And he says, you know what? I know you're dark. And that's what she says of herself. I'm dark. He says, I know you're dark, but to me you're lovely. And the whole emphasis in that is, I'm not surprised by your weakness. I'm not surprised by your brokenness. I saw it when I called you. You're not telling me anything I don't know. And guess what? I still love you. I love you in the midst of that. And then that moves her, you know, into uh, the, the chapter 1, verse 14 that I already mentioned. You know, let me see your face, yeah. let me hear your voice. And, and so we see the bride in her early days overcoming the condemnation of religion, the condemnation of her own weakness, and actually understanding that she is loved no matter what. This is so meaningful as a secure foundation for every believer in terms of how they grow into whatever their gifts or calling are, because this is the foundation of security. She is now secure. She knows she's loved. Doesn't matter that she's weak. Doesn't matter that she's broken. She knows that she is loved. And from that place, everything else can flow in her relationship. 
So she goes from that point to the point where, you know, Jesus is calling her, the bridegroom's calling her, now let's go a little bit deeper. Yeah. So she's by the cozy fire, Yeah. you know, she's in the winter, she's in the place where she's like, oh, this is so good, I'm going to feel like this all the time, I'm just going to drink in the love, the perfume, the wine, it's all, it's all right here by the cozy fireside. And then he calls her to come up to the mountain. He says, come up to the mountains with me, the mountains of sacrifice, uh, you know, Mount Her. And, uh, you know, she's like, you know, go, my beloved. Right. Be like a stag <laughs> on the mountain. You go do your thing, That's Jesus. Right. Right. But I, I really like where yeah. I'm at. I'm comfortable here. And, you know, the whole thing, you know, he's wiggling the doorknob. He's yeah. saying, come, arise, my beloved. And she doesn't get up and he goes, he yeah. leaves. And after he's gone, then she realizes that the only reason why she's comfortable where she is is because he's present. And she realizes the only place to be comfortable is with him. And so at that point, it's it's growing into maturity. It's like, okay, I'm willing to give up everything that I have. I'll go to the mountain with you. I'll lay down my life. You know, uh, speaks about the mountain of myrrh, the mountain of frankincense, and these things, you know, speak of suffering. And so she comes to the point where I'm I'm willing to lay it all out for you, Jesus. And then slowly moving on, there's another verse uh, in, in four or five where she says, "Come, my beloved, let's go down and visit the vineyards yeah. and and let's see." And when she goes down with him, she says, "My heart became one with his people." So there's initial first love, then there's maturing into it's not about me, it's about you, loving you, serving you, walking with you. And then from there, it's not just about you, it's about what's on your heart, yeah. and that's your people. Yeah. And so I want to be with your people. And then devotion continues in the end of chapter four and five, where now she's come to the place where she just says, my heart is yours. My heart is like a garden, and there's a wall around it. And when she says wall, she doesn't mean I'm uh, I'm closing myself off. Right. She means you're inside my walls and I'm keeping you in. Um, when I think about that, I just think about a garden, you know, with a wall around it and uh, a table and a couple of chairs in a corner under a tree. And she says, that's my place with you, Jesus, wow. and I'm going to keep that place forever. And I'm going to protect that by putting a wall around it. Nothing is going to pull me away from you. And then we move I think probably to the picture of full maturity in chapter eight, where her prayer is, place me like a seal on your heart, uh, you know, like a seal on your arm. Um, and I think that's the the expression of, of the place where Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm trusting you with everything. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of times in, in ancient days, kings would take their signet ring and put it on a chain, and then they would hang that around the, the deck of the bride. And so she's saying that, place me as a seal on your heart, put your seal on my heart, which is all about intimacy, all about devotion, all about mutual affection and love, and then place your seal on my arm, which is about authority or power. And so there's this, first I want my heart to be in the right place, then I can exercise power with great wisdom and grace. And then she moves on, and, and I think this is probably the ultimate, for me, a message where she goes on to say, many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot overflow it. Um, if a man were to trade all of that of his house for love, it would be considered utter foolishness. And, and this is the place where I think Jesus is bringing the church today, yeah. 
where it doesn't matter if the winds blow, it doesn't matter if the floods rise, it, it doesn't matter, nothing is going to quench my love. The greater the adversity, the hotter the fire is going to burn. And so I, I think all of that works into the bridal paradigm. It's a story of God's love for us through his son that so brings us into the realization that even though I have no value, even though I have nothing to offer to God, the king, you know, what what did the shepherds have to offer? What did Mary have to offer? Just weak, broken people, but that's the ones God chooses, and that's the amazement. Yeah. You know, Mary in the Magnificat says, oh, you know, he has, he has regarded my low estate. Um, he has blessed the poor. Um, he set the rich away empty, and he's pulled the powerful down from their thrones. It's not the power. It's not the self-sufficient. It's actually my weakness, my poverty, my brokenness draws the heart of God. And understanding that kind of love is the kind of thing that says, man, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I want to love you forever. I want to serve you in whatever that looks like in terms of the gift of prophecy. Yeah. And, and I think that's the kind of heart that we want to prophesy out of. I can prophesy to build my own ministry, to look good, to look spiritual, or I can say, you've gifted me in love as a member of your bri uh, bridal body, the, the body of Christ. Yeah. I want to serve them with this kind of love. I want, to, I want to speak your affections as if I've experienced them to other people, that they can be encouraged and blessed. Yeah. Man, that's super powerful. And I'm, I'm sure, I know you've experienced this as, as well as I, and I'm sure some of the listeners have, where... Maybe they experience a prophetic word or someone prophesies over them or their experience with the prophetic is negative. And I think probably more often than not, it's because it's not coming from that place yes. of love. Yes. I mean, I've, I've been in meetings or been in situations where I'm like, my goodness, that person's very gifted or talented or something. Man, they're really anointed but, and they'll minister, but something in my spirit just doesn't register. Something's like... I, I don't really, I don't know. Like, I don't really feel the love of God. I don't really feel encouraged. Or, you, know, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like something going on with there. And so... I think it's important for us to talk about this and to help people minister from the right place. Yes. Can you give us some ex an example or two of how, how God has really spoke to you about someone else and you've been able to really minister to someone in that capacity or, or you know, some sort of prophetic experience, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think probably one experience I would share took place while I was at IHOP. I mean, I've had similar ones since then, but this one stands out. At the International House of Prayer, we had what we called prophecy rooms where people could sign up and they could come in and receive prophetic ministry or prophetic prayer. And we usually had teams of three, so we had to have three people ministering or prophesying. A woman came in one day, and as you know, the team was ministering to her, I just heard a, a, just a simple phrase, you know, I had this impression that she had a son, and so the son wasn't present, so my question with God was, okay, well, why are you telling me she has a son? What do you want me to know about him? And I felt like the Lord said to me that, you know, he has a learning disability, and tell her that I will always be with him, that I will be with him all of his days, I'll watch out for him, I'll protect him, that she doesn't have to be afraid. And so that was what I heard before I even, you know, spoke to her. My impression was that he was eight or nine years old. So when it came to my turn to prophesy to her, I asked her, you know, do you have a son? And she said, yes. I said, is he eight, around eight or nine? And I think she said she's nine years old or something like that. 
And then I asked her, does he have a learning disability? And uh, she said, yeah, he's autistic. So I began to share with her, you know, uh, what the Lord had been speaking to me. And oftentimes with me, you know, with the prophetic and your experience too, I'm sure, God gives you a little, and then when you begin to speak, you start getting more. And, and oftentimes, for me, it's like I get a new whisper. I'm on one subject, and then I'm wrapping up, and then God whispers something new to me. So while I'm telling her all these things, the final thing I whisper that I hear is tell her that his autism is not her fault. Mm. Man, that was, I still, <laughs> I can almost still, you know, picture her face in response to that. And I just said, you know, the Lord wants you to know that this isn't your fault. You're not responsible for his autism. And she just broke down and began to weep. And, you know, as parents, you know, even if we really know it wasn't our fault, we carry what happens to our yeah. kids very close to our heart. And, and she had taken the blame for that. Wow. And it was so cool to see in a minute, you know, eight, nine years of guilt just to be broken off of her and just to be lifted. And then just for her to know. I think one of the most powerful things about a prophetic word, even if it's not long or deep, is just for people, it, it just says, I know. Yeah. It's God saying to you, I know. Even if we don't get the answer we want or the full situation isn't explained, there's something that happens to our heart when God just whispers to us, yeah, I'm with you, I know. And I think just for her to have that God knows. Um, he didn't heal the son's autism. Um, he did what he wanted to do in the situation. Um, so those kinds of experiences, and I've had you know so many of those, um, where you see the compassion of God, yeah, just really bring encouragement and strength to somebody's heart. Those are the kind of things like I can go, yeah, I'll do this forever, yeah, you know, because you just see the the results of that. It's awesome. That's so cool. I love that. I know uh, I've had some conversations with with people who are asking questions about the prophetic, and I think even just hearing a story like that, we're all like, "Okay, yeah, I want that." <laughs> like, we, let's all we all. I'm in. You know, you. I'm sold. You know, Jeff, I'm sold. You know, um, but I I think still we have this thing where I think we could just get stuck because we're so used to information. We're the information age. This yeah. is the information age, you know. If I don't know it, you know, just um, I think yesterday, Jenny and I were driving in the car and I asked some question about, we were talking about mammals or something. And I was like, <laughs> hey, what's a, what's, a, I mean, what's a male whale called? You know what I mean? Like, is it a, is it a buck or is it like a, you know what I mean? Like yeah. just some random weird question that we had no idea. We're driving down the highway and she's like, yeah, let me Google it. And so she Googles it, you know, and we just find out the answer. I think it's a bull, by the way. Someone else can check me on that. But <laughs> a bull and a cow. Can you believe that? What's yeah. up with that? But it's like, a whale of a story. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> the, point, the point of that story was... We, the we, porpoise? We, oh, no. <laughs> What's the porpoise of what you're saying? Oh, my gosh. I better, I better get going on this, otherwise you're going to get me again. The purpose of that was... We want to hear it. So can we dig in a little bit deeper on maybe some practical tips to hearing from God? Yeah. Right. I mean, you said you had an impression. Well, I think the first question people ask, and I know I, I get asked this all the time. Well, how do I know that's God? How do I know it's just it's not just me and I'm making it up? Yeah. You know, I, I think the idea of information is important because we're not after information about people. We're after God's heart for people. Um, and so I think sometimes people confuse that with a prophetic. Well, I, I give me information. 
And God's like, I'm not giving you information. I'm giving you heart. Yeah, that's good. Um, I think just uh, you will, especially on the front end, never be 100%. It's rare for somebody to say, I know 100% this is God. Because the prophecy requires faith. You know, in in 1 Peter 4, he says, prophesy according to the measure of your faith. Um, And I, I would probably save that verse for a little later for somebody who's growing in prophecy. It's just an encouragement to, hey, when you hear, you do have to step out in faith. Um, You can read the books, you can go to seminars, you can do everything, you can teach it to somebody, but until you do it, um, you aren't going to understand. So, you know, I I like to say, you know, you put up your sail. You just say, I'm going to put the sail up here. God, I I want you to speak to me through me, um, I'm willing. And your willingness is putting up your sail to catch the wind of the Spirit. And then some of it just comes back to what we talked about initially, and that's asking questions specifically. So I, I think, you know, having somebody in mind, you know, maybe you have a friend, uh, a coworker, um, somebody that you're praying for. Uh, the question then is, Lord, what, what would you like to say to them? And then understanding there's a variety of ways that God might answer you. I think probably simple prophecy, the, the, the simplest way we hear is just a word or a phrase. You know, I would say don't expect to get a five-minute download, you know, that you're going to write out. Part of the reason is if God spoke to you for five minutes, unless you had a dictaphone or something, you wouldn't remember all of it. Mm-hmm. I think that's why he gives us a whisper at a time, at least for me, because I'll forget after that. But understanding it might be a simple word or a phrase, you know, like as, you know, even as we're sitting here doing this and I I think about you, you know, I I get a phrase, you know, that the door is opening, um, that there's just something just right around the corner for you that you've prayed for, but it's going to be beyond your comprehension. You know, that there's uh, something that God has for you, a road that he's laying out for you. And I could go on. I'll stop at that point <laughs> at this point. But I mean, right. so I'm I'm getting that by both impression and yeah. by just a simple phrase. And the simple phrase is there's a door opening. Mm. So how do I know that's God? I've done this for a long time, so I don't ask that question so much anymore. But, you know, 20 years ago, I would have like been, oh, man, should I say that or should I not say it? Should I? Is this me? Is this God? You don't know until you actually step out and do it. And then you ask for feedback. So, you know, when you if you wanted to really do it in a safe way, this is how you could do it. You could take that person that you're praying for, that you want a word for, get yourself a little tablet or do it on your laptop or whatever. And just ask God, what do you want to say to them? Jesus, what would you say if you were standing in front of them? How do you feel about them? What's their reputation in heaven? What's their gift? What's their dream? Any number of questions you could ask. Um, I have all this in my book, Mm -hmm. Prophetic Like Jesus. And then just stop and listen. And then write your answers down. And I I do this often still when I'm praying for people. I use my notes app on my phone, and I just turn on record when I feel like I'm hearing something or impressions. And then I'll pray over those, and it might be a week or two, and I'll send them on. But write your impressions, write your pictures, think about it. And and this is a very safe way to do this. And then just have coffee with that person. Hey, let's give us a coffee or whatever. See them at church. And then just very simply say, you know, I was praying for you this week and I had these impressions. Can I share them with you? 
and then just share them and then say, does that make sense to you? And that is a very non-threatening, yeah. easy way to grow. And also understand, God's not going to get mad at you if you get one of those aspects wrong. Yeah. Um, he's not going to say, hey, you're banned from prophecy. You can't do this anymore. <laughs> it's not the Old Testament. We're not going to stone you. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Paul talks about it in, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Don't despise prophecy. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Yeah. So a lot of prophetic words, you know, maybe, you know, God speaks 100% clearly to you, but in our filtering system, we think, well, that's too crazy, or I can't say that, or, or whatever. We dumb it down to what we think it should be, and so we have taken the 100% pure word from God and brought it down to 60%, and then we've given that 60% word. But if we're staying with, with the admonition of strength, edification, and encouragement, we're not prophesying judgment or condemnation or sin. By the way, I don't need anybody to prophesy to me about my sin. I know my sin. Yeah. <laughs> I need people to prophesy me out of my sin yeah, you know, in, the, in the love of God. That's good. So we're not doing those things. We're aiming at encouragement, strength, and edification. Even if, if we only get 60%, we're going to encourage that person. And then the more we practice, the more accurate we'll become. So ask for feedback. So did that make sense to you? Well, for me, the, the word that you just shared for me absolutely made sense. It really, it kind of brought me back actually to some of my quiet times lately that I've had in the Lord. And I just can, as you were speaking, I just, he literally just showed me kind of a picture of where I was sitting when I've just been speaking to him about certain really, really intimate things. In my, on, you know, I can see it, the little corner of my couch, you know, where I sit and where I just pray in the morning. And I just felt like when you were speaking to me, that, that really encouraged my heart. And it was him saying those words to me, kind of like, Hey, I'm, I'm with you every morning when you're on the couch, you know, we're in this together, we're working through things. And it just, that was a very accurate encouragement to me about some things that I've been praying about specifically futuristic and specifically door opening. So, so yeah, that was a great encouragement to me. So, well, yeah. And I think what you're <laughs> describing here too is, um, how we imagine we must give a prophetic word. Mm. And a lot of people's imagination is like I said earlier, thus saith the right. Lord God, King James English, because we all know that's more spiritual. Of course. Uh, you know, so uh, <laughs> raising our voice or whatever, where, you know, God is just very, I don't want to say casual from the perspective that it's not powerful right. or not important, right. but casual from the perspective of, you know, you communicate the way you communicate. When you prophesy, you don't suddenly elevate to some other level, some other voice, you know, some other language. And, and that's what makes the prophetic so, so powerful with people because it's just me and my own simple language. But the power of God is on the word. The anointing is on the word that I give you. And so that is what explodes in a person's heart. It's like, you know, even if I whisper it, if I, I could have whispered that, I could yeah. have shouted it, yeah. but but it's not my delivery, it's the word itself. Yeah. And so I don't have to dress it up in a fancy package. God doesn't have to be dressed up in a fancy package. You know, when you share something that's real with someone, uh, it doesn't matter how you share it, it's going to resonate with them. But what we want to do is share it in a way that makes it most easily to be receptive. So if I'm shouting at you, then you might already shut yourself off like, yeah. well, what's this guy doing? But if we're having conversation, then that's, that's more easy. Yeah. Plus, 
to me, the, the prophetic is a conversation. Initially, it's me talking to God, and then God's bringing you into the picture, just like what we just did. Now you're in the conversation. And so my, my upward conversation is, what are you saying about Justin today, Lord? How do you feel about Justin today? So I'm asking questions, I'm engaging, and then now you're in the conversation, and so now I'm sharing that conversation with you, and then you're responding back mm -hmm. to God. Mm -hmm. And I think that is most simply how the prophetic works. Catherine Kuhlman, I believe, once said, noise, uh, don't ever mistake noise for power. Like, yes. Like, I mean, yeah, you, maybe you're excited and you're sharing something and that's powerful, but, but I love what, you, what you're talking about here. It doesn't have to be powerful. It doesn't have to be loud to be powerful. Yes, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, we all know that the devil's afraid of volume. <laughs> so if I shout at the devil louder, we know he's more fearful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not about the volume. It's right. about knowing who we are and the authority and the love of God. Yeah. Can you, can you go into a little bit about interpretation? Because, and I know you mentioned our job isn't to prophesy sin to a person, right? right? But there, there is, and, and now I think I'm getting into the distinction between prophecy and the word of knowledge. So tell me what you think about this. But there are, experience, there are times when the Lord will, at least in my experience, he's, he's spoken things to me about a person that is revealing. Right. And so what I do in that case, I, I think about it and I say, um, okay, that that's actually not going to be an encouragement. <laughs> if yeah, I just, yeah. you know, share, hey, the Lord showed me that you're, you know, you're living in sin or something like they know that, right? Yeah. And so at that point, we're faced with some sort of an, an, an interpretation situation, right? Can you explain a little bit about about that and how to wisely steward the word? I think that's what I'm asking. Yeah. Um I mean, first of all, you don't have to have a prophetic word to go to somebody about their sin. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. Um, you know, if you see your brother in sin, then you should go. If he's sinned against you, then, then you should go. You don't need a prophetic word to do that. But you need relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we sometimes do with the gifts of the Spirit, particularly prophecy, is we make it all between me and God when actually the gift of prophecy is a gift to the community. Mm -hmm. And we need to think in terms more of community. So if I have a word about someone's sin who's in my community, my goal isn't to show them that I'm prophetic and I hear right. from God and I'm calling out their sin. Right. My, why did God tell me that? Exactly. Yeah. So the question is, what, why did you tell me that? And what do you want out of this situation? So I might go to that brother, you know, privately, of course, I would never do it in a public situation and, um, you know, just say, hey, I'm praying for you and I just have this sense. If I'm wrong, you know, tell me I'm wrong. Um, I'm not doing this to injure you at all, but I care about you. And if people know you care about them, they can receive a lot of things. Mm. But if people think you're just coming to judge them, and that's why community and relationship is really, really important in mm. this. Um, in my experience as a pastor, I have confronted people early in my ministry, a, a word from a third party. And after once or twice, I'm like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> oh, um, you know, because it just gets muddy. Gets, well, they said this, they said that. But I have found in my ministry over the years that if I have to confront somebody and they know I care about them, then they're glad I confronted them. They'll actually say, hey, thank you. And so I think that's a, a general thought. And then the prophetic outside of that, again, I think the two questions are, you're asking are, God, why are you showing me this? And God, what do you want out yeah. of this? In a group setting where I've been prophesying as a team over somebody and I've had this kind of revelation, I don't expose the person's sin in front of everybody else, but I will give a prophetic word in a way that flips the information. 
by that I mean, I'm asking God, what's your purpose for this guy? You know, uh, like a situation where I, I had revelation that there was pornography, you know, and uncleanness. And, you know, my question is, what's your purpose for this guy? And then the Lord gives me a little bit about what he's made for, how God feels about him. I prophesy that, which is God's purpose and love over him. And then I just add in, and the Lord's going to be dealing with you and some things in your life to get you to that purpose, because you're not going to get there if you're hanging on to this without ever naming his sin. Nice, yeah. But he knows. Mm -hmm. I don't have to tell. Like I said, I don't need you to prophesy my sin. I need you to prophesy me out of my That's sin. Good. Give me a, a word of encouragement that makes me go, wow, I don't want this. I want this. And so that, in that situation, was I did from that perspective. In a more personal situation, you know, I, I might do it a little differently. Where I don't have relationship with a, a person, if I have revelation of their sin, I'm always going to want to know, where do you want to take them, God, so that they're not just sunk deeper by me saying, you're a scumbag, you're, mm -hmm. you're just so deep in sin, you're, <laughs> God's mad at you. Right. I, I want to bring them to the place where, you know what, God knows, he sees your weakness, he understands, but this is who you are to him, and he wants to deal with whatever this is. That's good. That leaves a person with hope. And hope is one of the primary purposes of the prophetic, I think. Coming back to, though, what you were saying about revelation, you know, about how we hear God, I think there's a, the simplest process is God speaks, we hear and interpret, then we deliver what we hear. So you can call it revelation, interpretation, application, you can call it listening, interpreting, and releasing. You could call it any number of things. I don't think about the process when I prophesy at all now, but initially that was good for me to understand how the process works. Mm -hmm. So revelation is what God speaks to me. And that goes back to what we said, asking the question, what do you think about my friend? Without the expectation that you're going to get a 10 or 20 minute dissertation from God, God speaks through an impression. You know, an impression is just, and I think, you know, if you're, if you're a feeler, you're familiar with impressions. You just know that you know that you know. You don't know why you know. And as we grow spiritually, you know, we stop trying to analyze it. We just, I know this. I don't know why I know it, but I know it. So the question is, oh, say, so God, why do I have this impression? And, and what do you want me to tell this person out of what I'm feeling? We want, God to draw that out. And that happens by our asking questions. And by that, I mean, you know, if I have an impression that God, that a person's going through a trial or going through a struggle, I want God to draw that out and give it some clarity. It doesn't do you any good if I prophesy to you, hey, you're in a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're in a struggle. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so I want my impression to be developed, and that's developed. Right. So why are you telling me he's that's in good. a struggle? What's he going through? And what do you want me to say to help him? Yeah. So the revelation might be the impression. The interpretation is my questioning God. Why do I have this impression? What is it? Give me clarity about what it means. Yeah. And then the application is, so what is the message that I'm giving out of this impression? Um, the same is true if you hear a phrase, you know, a Bible verse. God speaks through phrases, Bible verses, exterior circumstances. I won't go into all of, of the ways that he speaks. Impressions, pictures, sometimes pictures and impressions together, uh, sometimes physical circumstances. God can speak it a number of ways. But just for the purposes of what we're doing today, I, I will just narrow that down to simple words or phrases, 
impressions or pictures. And a lot of that has to do with the kind of person you are. You know, are you a seer, feeler? Are you more audio than you are visual? You know, so God will often speak to us according to the way he's made us. For me, a picture just simply means, some people could call it a vision, but just for simplicity, a picture is I just see a picture of something. That picture might be for you. That picture might be for me. Again, it's the conversation. God, why are you showing me this picture? Do I just need to share this picture with Justin? Or is this picture a communication device that you're telling me something that you want me to communicate with Justin by the picture? Just to make it simple, you know, I was prophesying over a guy one time and I had a picture in my mind. I saw him walking around a corner and looking in into the shops of windows, you know, like window shopping, so to speak. And I felt like just out of the simple picture, the Lord said, tell him I see that he's turned the corner and that I'm going to increase his vision and his wisdom, his understanding. So out of that picture was just came a message. I didn't have to tell him that picture, but I had a message to give him about the picture. So sometimes a picture, he needs to know it, sometimes he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it just depends on what's going to bless him the most. Yeah. Does he need to know the picture to be more blessed? Then that'll determine whether I share it. On occasion, sometimes the picture is just for them. Um, on those occasions, I don't usually get any information when I ask. You know, what's this picture for? What is this about? Why? Um, and I have the story in the book about, you know, the lady who I saw, um, I had a picture of her in a baseball uniform. She was a catcher in a baseball game, a professional, you know, catcher. And I argued with God about it. You know, come on, God, give me some information here. Tell me more than what I'm getting. And, you know, at that point in my in my prophetic journey, I knew it was God. So it wasn't a matter of me arguing whether I should or not. It was just me arguing with God, like, if you're going to give me something, give me some information to go with it. And finally, I just gave up and just said, okay, I don't know what this means to you. I just have this picture of you. I see you um, in a baseball game, dressed in a baseball uniform, and you're the catcher. And I don't know if that means God saying you're learning to receive well or learning to give good signals. And (laughs) so you you threw your own little spin on it right there, (laughs) right? Because you know we're trying to figure it out, and uh, you know, and so uh, she started laughing, and I'm like, okay, what's what's funny here? (laughs) When you get prophetic words and people laugh, it either means you really missed it by a mile or you're just really on. And so I'm, you know, what's going on? So she tells me, and this was at at IHOP KC. And she had been in the prayer room, so she tells me, I was in the prayer room earlier, you know, and, you know, I had this picture of myself in, in the baseball game. I was in the batter's box, and the Lord said, you know, stay in the game. And she said, uh, so I, I asked the Lord, if this picture is from you, when I go and receive uh, ministry and prophecy rooms today, have somebody give me a picture about baseball. Nice. Now <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm like, God, I argued with you for five minutes about whether to give this word just because she asked, you know, for a little bit of confirmation earlier. Oh, um, I don't know what's crazier about that, you know, that God loved her that much just yeah. for a simple prayer like that to just give her that confirmation. And he said, yeah, I know you're going to argue with me about it, but you're going to do it anyway because yeah. it will bless her. So, you know, things like that, engaging in, in those kinds of questions. I think probably, and I, I won't uh, belabor this right now, but I think probably that is the biggest area where I think that people miss it in the prophetic is in interpreting pictures and impressions. Mm. 
but that's not a reason not to do it. It's right. just a reason to press in and learn to grow in those areas. And the only way you're going to do that, you know, going back to you know earlier question, how do I know it's God? The only way you're going to do that is just to continue to step out in faith and get good feedback. I want to know when I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't want to know because they don't want to be embarrassed or whatever. I want to know when I'm wrong because how am I going to grow if I'm not open to feedback? That's awesome. So that's yep. interpretation. Yep. And then the application is how do I say what the interpretation is? And we talked about flipping it, you know, if we get negative information, what to do with that. But otherwise, it's it's really the answer is how do I convey what I've heard from God to yeah. you in the way that is most going to encourage you and bless you? Yeah, I think something that's really encouraging for listeners right now is the fact that it's actually okay to make mistakes. It's okay to kind of work our way into this because what we're not going to all hit it all 100% every time just when we step out for the first time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. there's, there's a growth behind this, right? I mean, and that's, you know, coming into the difference from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Prophets' words in the New Testament were taken like the Old Testament. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, when one's prophesying, then let the others listen and judge and weigh. Yeah. We're not stoning, you know, him if he misses it a little bit, but we are spiritually discerning the message and holding on to, to that part that's God. And that's, you know, the standard for prophets, but I think it fits for those moving in the prophetic rather than, you know, condemning when we miss it a little bit, um, it's more like, okay, you're growing. Yeah. Um, I have a friend who I was training in the prophetic who would practice on airplanes. You know, if she was flying on an airplane, you know, sitting next to somebody, she would ask God something for them. And then she would start prophesying to them by saying, hey, I'm growing in this gift of hearing God speak to people. Um, can I practice on That's you? That's good. I like, you that. Know? And, yeah, I like um, that. And that totally, you know, removed the sense of, well, what if I'm wrong? Or what if I miss it? You know, and this was a big burly guy, beard, you know, and he was like, <laughs> oh, well, okay. And she said, I just feel like, you know, you play guitar and you've been in music. And you know, she had this long, you know, powerful word for him and it was all right on. Cool. Um, but if she'd have missed it a little, it wouldn't have mattered to him because but he wasn't a Christian. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he didn't have a paradigm. He was just moving along there doing what he what he did and then this really opened his heart up to the lord cool so uh, there's a there's room for growth there's a scale for growth the foundation of that scale is humility mm. it's i'm just going to humble myself i'm going to take yeah. risks there's no growth in the prophetic without taking risks but i'm going to be humble and if I miss it, then I want to know I missed it, and I'm going to go back and say, God, okay, help me do better next time. Help me listen more. I would say without a doubt, if you have a prophetic gift and you're called to move in this area, then you are going to grow over time. Your experience is going to increase. Your, um, I mean, just simply how quick you move from hearing, interpreting, application and prophesying is going to speed up, you know, whereas initially it might take you three or four or five minutes to work through all of that. You just grow in the gift to the place where you see, you hear, you understand, and you speak. Mm -hmm. And you don't think about the process. It just becomes part of your um, conversation with God and your experience in the prophetic. Yeah. Awesome. Man, that, that is, there's so much here. And this is just a lot. This is really good. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, 
I do want you to mention some more about Prophetic Like Jesus and how people can get their hands on it. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about um, jeffhagersministries.com and tell us some about some of your mentoring tracks. And I really want to get people, if they are encouraged by this and if they really want to maybe connect with you some more, I want, I want them to know how to do it. How can, we, how can we connect with what you're doing right now? Sure, glad to. I'm finishing up a project now on a, a book that will be called Welcome to Dreamland. Um, navigating and interpreting dreams. And it's all about what the Bible says about dreams, the use and purpose of dreams, and then uh, my own experience with dreams and how other people who are dreamers can can learn to benefit and grow in their uh, dream interpretation and understanding. So I'm working on wrapping that up. My website is jeffagersministries.com. There's a number of things you'll find on there, but primarily uh, there are mentoring options. Uh, one of those options is just what we're talking about today. There's a prophetic track, which is 10 lessons on the prophetic. Each are an hour. The last two are on dreams and interpretation. Someone can sign up for that track. We do it by way of Zoom, an hour long, leaving uh, room for questions. Basically, that's just what we're doing here. A little bit of teaching, a lot of interaction, questions. I want people to get it, you know, so that's that track. The other track is an intimacy track, and that focuses on what we talked about earlier, the bridal paradigm, Father's heart. How do we grow in intimacy with Christ, with God? That has a lot to do with coming into our identity, understanding how God sees us, how we see God, how we relate to God, how we grow in meditating Scripture, hearing His voice, all of those things. A third track is on leadership. I think one of the things that God really is interested in today, as he's always been, is developing leaders. Um, we live in such a toxic culture, and there are so many people who have been wounded by leaders. What does a good leadership culture look like? How do we build strong leadership culture, and how do we build strong leaders? And um, so that's that track, and that also is a 10-week intimacy, and leadership are also 10-week tracks. And then there's a five-week track or five-lesson track, I should say, on the mystics. I have grown so much in studying the mystics. These were the guys who just spent so much time with God in monasteries or cloisters, learning to hear His voice and meditate Scripture. So each track has 10 lessons. Right now, I just work with people's convenience. I like to do at least one track a month, but if people want to do one track a week, you know, and that's fine as well. 10 total, or if people want to do them in groups, mm -hmm. you know, like you want to have a Friday night Bible study or something, then there's a, a group rate for doing tracks as Bible studies, things like that. So those are the mentoring options that I have right now. But I also offer on my resources page, um, I have a blog. There's a couple of uh, messages from my past that are on there. Uh, wild and crazy stories, mm -hmm. uh, and that's all about just some weird things that have happened to me in my life. Like, what do you do when you're in Poland if you go jogging and you leave your phone at your host's house and you don't know their address or their phone number and you get lost <laughs> and you can't speak Polish? Oh, no. You know, crazy story. But I'll leave it at that. I haven't posted that one yet. But, okay, um, you lose your keys on the beach. <laughs> or you lose your keys on the beach and you've got 50 yards, 100 yards of sand between you and the street to find your key and then you have to ask God how yeah. to find that and yep. <laughs> I won't spoil the end of that. Okay. Um, so those are all, you know, that's, these are, these are free resources. And then I do, uh, I try to release twice a month, just a meditation uh, scripture. Right now I'm working through Psalm 23 and there's a 
I begin with just a, a simple teaching on how do we meditate scripture. And uh, uh, so it's just a little tutorial. And then I actually meditate through that scripture so people can join me. It's, it's a video, so people can actually join me in meditating that scripture with the goal of them being able to take that away and go deeper on it. Mm-hmm. The wonderful thing about meditating scripture is if you only have five minutes, you can still go pretty deep with God. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And so I try to keep these short, uh, and basically they're just in there to help people do the very thing uh, that has been so precious to me, and that's in their own time, meditate scripture. So, yeah, so those are all free resources that are available there. Um, If somebody would like to support my ministry, there's a donation page where they can just click that and they can give to Jeff Ager's Ministries. Yeah. And then if you're a business person out there, I have another uh, website called forwardperspectives.org. For years, I have partnered with business people in the place of prayer. Um, I have uh, clients now, uh, some in Poland, some in in different places of the world, some are churches, some are businesses. And this is just, uh, I support their business in the place of intercession, sending along any prophetic information or words that I get at at particular times. And they in turn support my ministry, enabling me to do what I'm doing in the kingdom. So that's forwardperspectives.org if anybody's interested in something like that. Awesome. Very good. Thank you so much for your time. This has been fun. It's I really great, appreciate man. it. Yeah, this is just gold. So I encourage you listeners, man, give this another listen. There's so much there today. A lot of content, a lot of really powerful stuff. Jeff, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And we got to go catch some waves soon. Oh, that's right. We, sh- we sure will. Thanks, everybody. We love you. And make sure you check those, those, uh, those resources out. I'm going to link to them in the notes. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Unstoppable Podcast. For more resources, including previous episodes, blogs, and free downloadable content, visit us at unstoppableblog.net. You can also find us on Facebook at Unstoppable Blog. We hope this podcast has encouraged, equipped, and empowered you with meaningful insight from the Word of God to receive His promises and live a life without limits.